1: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
2: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
1: Learn more at meta.com/metaverseimpact
3: We knew that he had a taste for
4: women who) To my wife and me seemed age inappropriate. He was in his forties and fifties and they were in their twenties. He was not the only one who had no such tastes. I'm twelve years older than my wife, so I didn't want to sit in judgment over him, but we didn't like that.
5: I don't believe that anyone who was friendly with Mr. Epstein could not have known what was going on over all these years. You would have had to been
2: blind. Welcome to episode three of Epstein Devil in the Darkness. In episodes one and two, we heard how Jeffrey Epstein's meteoric and mysterious rise was fueled by millions, gained through shady business deals. Former colleague Steven Hoffenberg described a massive Ponzi scheme that swindled investors out of nearly $500 million.
6: He was able to fund his criminal enterprise with the assets and money from the Towers Financial Crimes.
2: Now, we'll explore how this cash gave him access into the highest levels of the world's elite, from presidents to prime ministers and more. Victims like Virginia Roberts reveal how he used his new position of power to abuse and exploit teenage girls.
7: It started with one and then it trickled into two and then so on and so forth. And, you know, before you know it, I'm being lent out to politicians and to academics and to people that you royalty.
2: By the late 90s, Jeffrey Epstein had made a name for himself as a financial whiz kid, a shining star of the New York City social scene. Old friend Stuart Pivar remembers.
3: He was uh, an unusually outgoing, friendly, humorous, entertaining type of person, that kind of normal, and everybody liked him for that reason.
2: Around that time, Epstein met the woman who would become his closest confidant, best friend, lover, enabler, and alleged madam. Ghislaine Maxwell, favorite daughter of disgraced media baron and rumored Israeli spy Robert Maxwell. Journalist Laura Goldman had a unique insight into their relationship through her friendship with Ghislaine's sister, Isabel.
8: I know that the popular notion is, is that Ghislaine and Jeffrey dated. I believe that they definitely slept together. I just don't believe they really dated. I think that the connection between them was he had the casts and she had the connections where Jeffrey Epstein had the cash and Jelaine
2: Maxwell had the panache. Epstein's new relationship with the European heiress definitely drew the attention of the movers and shakers in Manhattan and Palm Beach. At the same time, his staffers were surprised to see that the perpetual bachelor had found a companion. Here's Deidre Stratton, a ranch hand at Epstein's secretive Zorro ranch in New Mexico.
0: Well, of course we were curious because of her father's history. That was intriguing. and of course the staff we would hear sometimes the staff from Palm Beach would be sent to, to Zoro for a vacation, and we'd all exchange stories and hearsay and this and that.
2: Ghislaine certainly had the connections. Among them, family friend Prince Andrew. Laura Goldman explains.
8: Jeffrey Epstein came to Prince Andrew because Ghislaine Maxwell became friendly with Fergie. And Fergie introduced Ghislaine to Prince Andrew, and then Ghislaine introduced Prince Andrew to Jeffrey Epstein.
2: And I think it's kind of apparent that they're kindred souls. We will take a much closer look at Epstein's relationships with both Andrew and Ghislaine in future episodes. But for the moment, Goldman says it was clear that she was at least a willing player in his perversions. I definitely think that Jelaine Maxwell knew what was going on in Jeffrey's house.
8: I believe she knew. I think she thought the girls were expendable. I think somebody said in Vanity Fair that she said they were trash. I think the Maxwells are very aristocratic and do not really see their
2: bourgeois. They didn't really see this as a crime. With Ghislaine by his side, Jeffrey had his entree to a whole new world of the elite. Now, no longer just another flashy Wall Street nouveau riche, people like Vanity Fair contributing author Jesse Kornbluth began to see him as a serious player with serious influence.
3: He was a guy on the make. The way this is usually done is through women. You become friends of an important man's wife, and she says to her husband, you must meet my friend. Epstein didn't particularly do this. He went right, right for the powerful men.
2: Epstein, under the guiding hand of Ghislaine Maxwell, threw lavish dinner parties with exclusive guest lists at his Upper East Side townhouse, as well as more raucous get-togethers at his Palm Beach mansion. The purpose of these was purely and nakedly to win friends and influence people. And he began to curry favor with even grander gestures.
8: Rich people are cheap and rich people love nice things. So what I believe that Jeffrey Epstein understood that, and he provided people like Bill Gates, Bill Clinton, with luxurious private planes, and they just ate it up. It's a sad commentary on our society. Slowly, his network of power and privilege grew. He understood that waving a private plane in front of Bill Clinton would make him a friend for life. He understood that offering a ride on the Lolita Express to Bill Gates and offering to talk to him about philanthropy would uh, entice Bill Gates. He understood your weak point, and it may be that he was exceptionally good at it and exceptionally good at understanding rich people, but it is the method of all bullies to do
2: that. One of his most high-profile party pals was President Donald Trump, who once told New York Magazine that he was a, quote, terrific guy with a taste for women on the younger side. Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort became their personal bachelor pad. Footage from 1992 found in
0: the NBC archives shows the future president welcoming Jeffrey Epstein to his Mar-a-Lago estate. Both men are seen enjoying themselves, Trump pointing out women dancing in front of them. An apparently friendly encounter with a man the president is
2: now looking to distance himself from. Trump has since denied they were close.
4: Well, I knew him like everybody in Palm Beach knew him. I had a falling out with him a long time ago. I don't think I've spoken to him for 15 years. Uh, I wasn't a fan.
2: But Spencer Coven, a Florida attorney who has represented several of Epstein's victims, says that's not the full story.
5: So we knew from deposition testimony that we took in the civil cases from a few of the people that worked within Mr. Epstein's home, that Donald Trump was more than just a casual acquaintance of Mr. Epstein. Uh, We knew that because even on one occasion, we were aware that Mr. Trump had come to the house and stopped by and just ate in Mr. Epstein's kitchen uh, and just sat there and chatted and, and ate in the kitchen with him. So, you know, this was more than just a casual acquaintance. This was somebody that he knew and that they spoke with one another, they socialized with one another. We also knew that Epstein and Trump had gone to parties together at Mar-a-Lago that Mr. Trump had arranged. We knew that one of the victims that came forward and accused Epstein of essentially turning her into a sex slave was found at Mar-a-Lago originally. She was working there and that's where Epstein got her from.
2: Kuvin even says that Epstein and Trump's relationship went far beyond Florida.
5: So we also know through stories that have come forward now from two young girls that were sisters that were in the New York area that Mr. Trump had stopped by Mr. Epstein's New York home on occasion as well. So as far as high profile friends, we certainly knew that Mr. Trump was a close friend of Mr. Epstein during those exact years that Mr. Epstein was molesting these young girls. So these were two gentlemen that definitely ran in the same circles.
2: On the other side of the political divide, Jeffrey Epstein had also become close confidants with former President Bill Clinton. Though following his arrest in July of this year, Clinton, like Trump, was at pains to play down their friendship. In a statement released by his press secretary, Angel Ureña, here voiced by an actor, he claimed to have no knowledge of his former pals' perversions.
6: President Clinton knows nothing about the terrible crimes Jeffrey Epstein pleaded guilty to in Florida some years ago or those with which he has been recently charged in New York.
2: In fact, according to Mr. Arania, Clinton barely knew the man.
6: He had one meeting with Epstein in his Harlem office in 2002 and around the same time made one brief visit to Epstein's New York apartment with a staff member and his security detail. He's not spoken to Epstein in well over a decade and has never been to Little St. James Island, Epstein's ranch in New Mexico, or his residence in Florida.
2: The statement also declared that although Clinton had traveled on the Lolita Express before Epstein's crimes became public, it had only been a handful of times and always accompanied by his Secret Service agents.
6: In 2002 and 2003, President Clinton took a total of four trips on Jeffrey Epstein's airplane, one to Europe, one to Asia, and two to Africa, which included stops in connection with the work of the Clinton Foundation. Staff, supporters of the foundation, and his Secret Service detail traveled on every leg of the trip.
2: However, journalist Melissa Cronin has obtained flight logs that tell a different story. What the records do show, however, is that with Clinton on those flights were disgraced actor Kevin Spacey and comedian Chris Tucker.
1: When we obtained the actual flight logs, we found that what Bill Clinton calls four trips was actually 27 flights on the Lolita Express during at least six different trips. What's more, on two of those trips to Africa in September and October 2002, the flight manifests don't even show any secret service.
2: The records also show that there were surprising companions on those flights.
1: Glenne Maxwell was on board that trip. There also was another woman named Shantae Davis, who was one of Epstein's mysterious massage therapists. She's since accused Epstein of abusing her. Randomly, Kevin Spacey and Chris Tucker were also there, according to the records.
2: Spencer Coven explains how those records would later help corroborate the claims of Epstein's victims.
5: We knew that other people had utilized Mr. Epstein's jet on occasion. We had known, for example, that Kevin Spacey and and Bill Clinton had utilized the jet to travel. In fact, as part of the civil litigation, we had deposed or we deposed the pilot for that jet and talked to him about the logs and talked to him about who was traveling aboard that jet and whether any of the victims were transported utilizing that jet. So we became aware of a number of individuals, high-profile individuals, that had been aboard that plane on occasion.
2: Public records suggest Jeffrey Epstein owned up to three private jets, but the jewel in the crown was his Boeing 727, the so-called Lolita Express. It was designed for passengers to travel in maximum comfort with some very
1: unique upgrades. We had reported on the Lolita Express for so many years. When we finally obtained pictures of the inside, It was even more shocking than I could have imagined. The plane basically looked like a bad 1970s porno set. There was this plush carpeting everywhere, big couches, and then there was actually a bed in the back. It was definitely unlike any plane that I've ever seen. Florida air safety investigator,
2: Christine Negroni, believes that the people who piloted that plane have some questions of their own to answer.
7: They were pilots, they were adults, male pilots who no question knew everything. They had to fill out the logs. They knew who was on every flight. They knew where the flights were going. They'd have to be morons not to know what was going on. So what role did they play in the investigation? How much were they interrogated by the authorities back in the 2000s when the charges were first brought against Jeffrey Epstein? And how much of that wound up now in the new investigation? And those pilots have basically escaped everyone's attention.
2: Could the authorities be investigating these men as co-conspirators? I'd have to
7: say that any time a pilot was involved in something that could be considered a federal crime, and that would be moving a minor from one place to another, unless that flight is within a state, and we know they weren't, that he would have or he she would have an obligation to report that. I think there's a case to prosecute any pilot's who knowingly did this. It's impossible to imagine that these pilots didn't know what was going on.
2: The full scale of Epstein and Ghislaine's powerful new circle of friends was made clear in 2015 when his little black book of influential contacts was leaked onto the internet. Melissa Cronin was one of the reporters who investigated the contents of that book.
1: So, the infamous little black book had been taken from Epstein's home back in 2005 by an employee, and its contents were really astonishing, even for people like us. The sheer number of big, bold names in there across politics, business, Hollywood, it was like finding buried treasure. You had the likes of Woody Allen, Alec Baldwin, magician David Blaine. But then also Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, UK Prime Minister Tony Blair, Ehud Barak, Prince Andrew, Fergie, Ted Kennedy. The list goes on and on. It's basically a who's who of early 2000s power players. Epstein
2: also used his wealth to cultivate leading figures in the scientific and academic communities. And when he wasn't wowing guests on board the Lolita Express, he was entertaining them at one of his lavish properties around the world. Ranch hand Deidre Stratton recalls catering to many VIPs at Epstein's Zorro Ranch in New Mexico.
0: You know, I remember him having like Nobel Prize winners there and we would serve them lunch and they would have these deep conversations about natural selection and DNA and all these different lofty things. Most of our guests were scientists that Jeffrey was looking to, you know, fund their research. You know, the woman who choreographed Lion King and her husband, who was a composer, they were there. That doctor, whomever, I can't think of his name, um, who was with Naomi Judd, they were there at the main house.
2: Epstein's Orgy Island became a destination for the academic elite as well. In 2010,
8: which was after 2008, Isabel Maxwell and her third sort of husband had a science event at Jeffrey Epstein's Island. That's the event that brought Stephen Hawking and a bunch of other people.
2: He also, despite having never graduated from college himself, spent millions ingratiating himself into the pinnacle of American academia, Harvard University.
4: Harvard allowed him to have an office. We would meet at Harvard for events uh, at his office with other academics, George Church, the man who decoded the genome, Stephen Jay Gould, the paleontologist, Howard Gardner, uh, others.
2: Journalist Melissa Cronin was actually a student at Harvard while Epstein was holding court in Harvard Square.
1: When all of this came out about Jeffrey Epstein's ties to Harvard, I was really shocked because I was actually there when he was doing all of this. I was an undergraduate at Harvard in 2005 when Epstein was a visiting fellow in the psychology department. I do remember visiting the Hillel house on campus with friends and seeing his name on a plaque inside as like somebody who had helped to get constructed. At the time, I thought he was just one of the many millionaires helping to fund the school. I'm sure I never saw him on campus and I definitely had no idea just how deep his ties were.
2: Indeed, behind the scenes, Epstein was donating millions to Harvard and the nearby MIT Media Lab, and the universities would only admit the extent of his support years later.
1: Almost a month after Epstein died, the president of Harvard emailed me and other alumni this massive 4,000-word email, laying out every single detail about how Epstein had been connected to the university. It was clear they were going to be super transparent about everything he'd done on campus. His ties to Harvard definitely ran very deep, but it's clear that Harvard basically disowned him after his sex crimes were exposed. They did find about $100,000 that was remaining from a past gift that had never been used. And they told us that they were going to donate it to a foundation that helps victims of sex abuse. That wasn't the case, though, with the MIT Media Lab just down the road. They actually continued to accept and cover up multi-million dollar donations that Epstein made or told his friends to give. There are even leaked emails from staff there expressing concern about Epstein visits to the labs with young women. It's really crazy how much they have to account for.
2: Epstein's attraction to the likes of Harvard and MIT may have been rooted in money, but what was it he could offer other millionaires, powerful politicians, members of the royal family? Why would men with vast fortunes of their own be so eager to indulge the Wall Street upstart and even continue to do so after his conviction for soliciting prostitution from an underage girl? His former friends and acquaintances have some idea.
8: Rich people, the one thing left for them, they like to live dangerously. You notice they like to drive fast cars, they like to helicopter ski, they like to jump out of planes. Okay, so this is breaking the law with 14-year-olds is on that list. Except they don't seem to understand that the 14-year-old is a person, not a commodity.
3: I think the presumption of guilt does not apply to powerful men that very very powerful men in every situation not just sex no one says no to them no one they have an idea The subordinates execute it, right, or try to execute it. No one says, sir, uh, maybe you want to rethink that. And so the idea that these men would have sex with, that had been gifted to them of an underage girl, that that would cause them any trouble, any blowback, no, it didn't occur.
2: Indeed, for Epstein, the thrill of having presidents, royalty, Nobel winners, and Hollywood power players on speed dial may have been less about star power and more about leverage.
5: We had heard that Mr. Epstein had created videos inside of his home and kept them as insurance with respect to high profile individuals who had been in his home and who had visited him and maybe he had provided women to some of these individuals, young girls.
1: I know for sure that Epstein's New York home had security cameras throughout it. He had six different monitors in just one security office alone. And those were all hooked up to a printer that could print out images of what was happening in the house at a moment's notice. When the FBI later raided that home, they found a huge trove of images and videos in his safe there. You have to wonder what was in it and what was it all for?
2: Jeffrey Epstein's personal chauffeur says it all seemed like a giant web of blackmail.
6: I think that Epstein thought he could do whatever he wanted to do because nothing could ever happen to him. He had that kind of demeanor, like he was untouchable. Sort of like John Gotti in the day when nobody could mess with him because, you know, I guess he figured he, he had everybody in his pocket that could screw him, so he just did whatever he wanted to and was had no worry about who was there or what they were doing or anything.
2: And someone very close to the case agrees. John Mark Dugan was working for the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office when local police launched an investigation into Epstein's abuses. An investigation that would send him to jail. Dugan claims the investigation was rigged from the start because Epstein had dirt on some very powerful men.
3: So I worked for the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. He's with the town of Palm Beach, a uh, completely different agency. Now, the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office was tasked with watching Epstein after he was arrested. So we basically had the whole entire case file.
2: According to Dugan, Epstein's Palm Beach home was filled with thousands of DVDs containing videos that could be very damaging to a lot of people.
3: Well, they weren't tapes so much as DVDs. I don't know if they've reported this or not, but every bedroom in Epstein's houses, had multiple cameras in them. He used to keep records of everybody. He used to store everything. The Palm Beach Police Department, they knew that there were thousands and thousands of these DVDs, except, now this is very interesting. When they went to search for them, they were gone. And nobody's really quite sure who took them. You know, it's funny because nobody knows where they went not really a question of who would have had access. The question you should be asking is, who had knowledge that the source was coming?
2: Dugan believes that Epstein could have passed off the secrets on those videos to intelligence agencies across the world, including the KGB. Coincidentally or not, Dugan now lives in Russia, where he has been granted asylum.
3: Do I think that Epstein was probably put up to getting some wealthy people to sleep with some underage women. So those people could be blackmailed by Western intelligence agencies? Absolutely, I
2: do. Could one of those targets have been Prince Andrew? According to recent reports, the royal family and Britain's MI6 are terrified that Andrew's darkest secrets may have fallen into the Russians' hands. In the meantime, Andrew is doing his best to distance himself from the scandal. Since the full details of Jeffrey Epstein's perversions have emerged... Following his death in August, all those former friends have been quick to distance themselves or claim they had no idea what he was doing. Two weeks after Epstein was found dead in his cell, Prince Andrew released a bizarre statement, voiced here by an actor, in which he said,
6: At no stage during the limited time I spent with him did I see witness or suspect any behaviour of the sort that subsequently led to his arrest and conviction. I have said previously that it was a mistake and an error to see him after his release in 2010. I can only reiterate my regret that I was mistaken to think that what I thought I knew of him was evidently not the real person, given what we now know.
2: He also, somewhat shockingly, described Epstein's abuse of underage girls as his, quote, lifestyle. And we will be examining the full statement in greater detail in the next episode. Lawyer Alan Dershowitz, who represented Epstein in 2005, also says he now wishes he had never met his former friend, because one of Epstein's victims has made outrageous claims against him, too.
4: I regret ever having met Jeffrey Epstein because as a result of meeting Jeffrey Epstein, I've been falsely accused of wrongdoing myself, something that never happened to me in a 55-year career by a woman I never met, never heard of, who made up the whole story out of whole cloth. I have nothing to hide. I've had sex with one woman since the day I met Jeffrey Epstein, and that's my wife. I've never flirted with another woman. I've never touched another woman. I was never on an Epstein plane with anybody who was even close to being underage, and I was only once on what's called the Lolita Express large plane.
2: For Gary Grossberg, who knew Epstein growing up as a child in Brooklyn, these denials by Epstein's former buddies are the ultimate betrayal, or worse.
3: You know, the thing about it that bothers me, because I'm a very loyal person, is, you know, their silence is betrayal, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that's what it comes down to, to, to say, oh, I would have known this. That's all nonsense. That's all nonsense. Anybody who was ever around him, that I was there, they were always speaking very highly about him. You know, he's such a great guy, so, you know, he's just so kind. You know, they look at him as a there's a piggy bank or whatever it may be, and they think that they're going to be able to uh, do whatever is necessary to punch their meal tickets. but it's not going to happen. And politically, the same thing. I mean, the folks are not happy that he's not there because they can't continue to put notches in their belt because now it's over with. It's finished.
2: Meanwhile, with Epstein gone, the world is left to wonder if any of the powerful men in his orbit will ever face justice.
8: Why hasn't Bill Gates been forced to answer why he was on the Lolita Express? Why is Leslie Wexner still CEO of The Limited? Anyone that facilitated Jeffrey Epstein's crimes should serve a minimum of 20 years in jail. And the reason is I really thought that in our society there was a red line. We don't uh, traffic young girls. Obviously, that's been broken. I do not think those people are redeemable. There's no way to rehabilitate
2: them. Epstein's New Mexico ranch hand, Ian Royal, is among those demanding justice for what his former employer and his high-powered friends unleashed on the world.
6: It'd be great to see everybody that's a part of it to go to jail. I just think there is so much power we're fighting, so much power that we're having to go against right now. Like, we're going against this upper 1% class that feels like they're invincible. And to a point, that's kind of almost true, because they're getting away with it.
2: Next week on Epstein, Devil in the Darkness, The Prince and the Pedophile.
5: We were aware that Prince Andrew of the royal family had definitely socialized on numerous occasions with Mr. Epstein— and in fact was well aware of one of the primary victims of Mr. Epstein's sexual abuse. She's come forward since then and has claimed in public record that Prince Andrew essentially was abusing her as well, that she was turned over to him as essentially someone that Mr. Epstein used to farm out to whoever he saw fit.
0: At the time, Jeffrey had this, she she supposedly was a neurosurgeon Quite young, quite be- not young, 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 but uh, beautiful and you know young and brilliant. And she stayed in the home with him, and at one point, we had all these different teas that you could you know pick the tea that you wanted. and she asked me to find one that would make him more horny
8: that wow. he hadn't been interested in her.
0: Um I'm guessing because she understood her job was to entertain him.
2: Epstein, Devil in the Darkness, is narrated by me, Danielle Robay, executive produced by Dylan Howard and Melissa Cronin, and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavor Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson, Andy Tillett, and Robert Dixter. The series is written by Dominic Utton. Reporting by Aaron Tinney and Doug Montero. The series is mixed and engineered by Sean Kravitz and Sam Ada. There is so much more to this story, and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to Epstein, Devil in the Darkness, wherever you get podcasts.